You're listening to the Creative Processes interview with Brian David Johnson, futurist, director of Arizona State University's Threatcasting Lab, and author of The Future You. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Let's talk about technology and the role of humanity and of being human and what it means to be present in that. We need to keep humans at the center of everything that we do, that everything that we do in our life is about humans. It begins with humans and it ends with humans going back to impact, right? There might be technologies and businesses and all these things in between, but we should measure by the effect on humans. I'm a technological futurist, right? I'm an engineer and a designer. I've worked in Silicon Valley for many years. So much of the work that I do was about technology. What people would say about me is that I was a funny little futurist because I cared more about people than I did about technology, which is true. Because when I talk to people about artificial intelligence or technology, I'm generally asking them two questions. What are you optimizing for? What's the effect that you're trying to get? Developing technology for technology's sake is why you're doing it, because you think it's interesting. But then if you're doing it beyond your own gratification, why? When I work on robots, when I work on AI, that's kind of what we're looking at, making sure we keep humans at the center, because if we don't, that's very bad for us. That doesn't turn out well for anybody. It's a very, very bad thing. A lot of the work that I do in my threat casting lab is that I'm looking at possible potential threats out in the future. So much of what I do in that is talking to governments and militaries and large organizations say we always have to keep humans in the center because it's about us. That really is incredibly important. And that's one of the central ideas in the future you is to say, to your point, the future should be about humans and where are humans going and what do we want as humans and how are we using technology to make us more human or healthier or happier or more productive or you name it. I think Oftentimes what will happen as a trap is when we talk about technology, people say, well, what, what do you think is the future of artificial intelligence? Or what is the future of neural interfaces? Or what is the future of this? I always pause them and say, wait a minute, you're having the wrong conversation because it's not about the technology. So when people talk, what's the future of AI? I said, I don't know. What do we want the future of AI to be? I think that's a shift that it sounds quite subtle to some people, but it's really important because if you look at any piece of news or anything like that, they talk about AI as if it was a thing that was fully formed that sprang out of the earth and is now walking around doing things. And what will AI do in the future? And how will it affect our jobs? It's not AI that's doing it. These are people, these are companies, these are organizations that are doing it. And that's where we need to keep our focus is what are those organizations doing? And also what do we want from it as humans? Being worried about the future is just that, it's worrying. Think about how much time and energy you spend worrying about stuff that hasn't happened and maybe even never will. But what if you instead put all of your energy towards the creation of a positive and lasting future? I get it. Even after working as a futurist for a very long time, I still get worried sometimes. The reason why I wrote this book was the idea to say that we all have the power to shape our future that we have the power to shape our futures, our family, our communities, the organizations that we're in. Then there's also things we don't have power to shape and understanding what that might look like. That was the whole idea behind The Future You is how to give people the ability to help shape and think about their own futures. I have for many years in working in artificial intelligence back almost 10 years ago, thinking about autonomous systems. And it's a slow evolutionary process because I think a couple things happen when it comes to laws and regulations. And I'm, again, I'm not a cultural historian, but I work with historians and they're really interested in looking at how things move through those concentric circles and how they become laws and how they become things like that. And what a lot of them will tell you is that, especially with a new technology or a new business that's driven by technology, unfortunately, what oftentimes has to happen, it is has to cause harm first. 
is that the way that a lot of laws work is that something needs to happen first. And unfortunately, a law needs to be broken or somebody needs to stand up and say, hey, this amount of disinformation and misinformation is really bad. You can have people whose, whose lives get affected by it, which we've seen what can happen with things like that. So then it starts to define it. That's one of the things that I try to do as a futurist and also try to do when it comes to future threats is to define them as early as we can. And so we did. So back in 2016, 2017, in my threat casting lab at Arizona State University, we were writing about disinformation and misinformation and got very specific about what it could do and how you could use AI, an AI ML tool that could look at a large data set and come up with custom content for somebody. Also now known as ChatGPT, right? And it wasn't that we were trying to predict it. We were just trying to define what that landscape looked like. We tell people, if you want to defend it or you want to control it, you have to define it. I agree with you that some of these things take a while, but also in seeing different technologies come out, like the personal computer, like the internet, like AI, you're watching people first defining it, understanding its impact, because if you want to regulate it or put laws, you have to actually define it as well. Getting back to your original question about the United States, I think this year, 2023, has been a very big shift here in people talking about it. Myself writing about it starting in 2016, 2017, very specific around the negative effects that AI and all and disinformation, these things would have on us, that now beginning to see it on the evening news, seeing it there in our Congress and in our government, they're actually now having hearings on it and they're talking about it. But then also, They've done it multiple times, to your point. So now they're starting to be able to hold people to account. I'm the CEO of DeepMind just put out a new book talking about power when it talks comes to AI and these technologies, that it is a conversation about power and who is using it and how they're using it, which I think is really, really important to understand because that's how we begin to make real change. Again, we don't talk about it like a piece of science fiction. We don't talk about it around something that these technologies run off on their own and do it. No, they were created by people. Even when we create them with a level of autonomy, they were still created. They still have programmed into them a way of doing it. They're not human. They don't have human level intelligence. Even though they can do things faster than us, to your point, so can a calculator, right? And a calculator is not human. We have to understand that. And one of my next books that I'm writing right now is for eight-year-olds. What does an eight-year-old need to know about artificial intelligence? I love this idea because I go to schools all the time and I talk to young women and men about these types of things. Like, what should you know? Don't be frightened of it. And then ultimately saying to them, well, let's get down to base principles. What is AI? It's software. That's all it is. It's software written by human beings. If you start there and you don't jump to it taking over the world, there's really specific steps. If you can think about it in that way to go, okay, who's writing the software? And if you want it to be autonomous, what are you having it do? You're not having it be human. We're not there yet. We're not going to be there arguably for a while. So then what is it doing? I think as you start to have those conversations, if it starts to feel a little bit more accomplishable, can you regulate it? I definitely agree with you. Let's get really specific about that. We need to understand the consequences of anything that is created. Like you said, it could be a chemical, it could be a technology, but it has to be created first. You have to say, what will it do? And that could be in a lab or could be in a university. Arguably, very early on, you need to understand it. There's always going to be unintended consequences as well. That does happen. But the thing about un unintended consequences is we know they're going to happen. Like, we know that. There's too much history for that. And you're right. We need to start to recognize them very early on and create mechanisms to go after them. Certainly for myself in working with companies and even talking about when it comes to larger things around regulatory and government, we start to investigate what could go not only right, which we spend a lot of time talking about, but what could go wrong and what could those possible negative effects be and hold people to account very early on. I agree with you as well to get really specific around how we do it. And we can do it. 
I think that's something that's very important. We have the ability, even in theory, as we're saying, what is this technology or what is this thing that we are going to create to then say, okay, let's think about all the things that could go right and could go wrong. And that's what I spend a lot of my time trying to teach people and teach organizations to go and do. I think that would be a fascinating project to future cast that. I mean, because a lot of the things that you have described, although incredibly important, is not the military's job. Now, we could make it their job, possibly, or like you said, we could make a Peace Corps or we could make an environmental corps, which would be fascinating. I do think, though, I, I can tell you in some of the work that I'm doing, especially like around artificial intelligence, the private sector has far more, far more budget than any military, I guarantee you that. Because the private sector can put so much more money into these because they're publicly traded companies and they're the largest companies in the world. So I... Don't outsize that because it's actually a problem. It's a problem when it comes to artificial intelligence, things like that. Actually, governments don't have a lot of money when it comes to developing these technologies and, and private companies really, really do. And one of the things which we've written about in a couple of the reports that have come out is they do have an understanding of the importance of climate change and what it's doing for stability. When you talk about military or government, and mainly the military, it's mainly about national and global security and that climate change is bad for national and global security. And we've actually come up with many examples of threats where they start with a climate disaster. That climate disaster then turns into something else, which we've all seen with refugees. We've all seen with sort of attacks and things like that. But understanding, we've been modeling that. We actually have lots of examples in the reports that we've written where it's very much at the forefront of kind of understanding that. And they do have an understanding of it. But something I have found in the last year and a half, the broader conversation around climate has really changed. And this is mostly in North America, because it's where I spent most of my time over the last year, where before we would talk about climate change and we'd say, well, because it's the right thing to do, we need to do it for humanity, we need to do it for the future. And you begin to see some very large companies, and especially some infrastructure companies, like people who build railroads and ports and things like that, starting to have an understanding around climate and climate change as it not only being bad for security, but it's bad for business. I think the most important thing that I would like children to know is that they can build their future, that they have the power and they have the agency to shape their future. And they have the ability and the power when working with others to have an even broader impact. That ultimately the thing that scares me the most about the future is when people give up that agency and they let other people design their futures for them. For me, I think it's incredibly powerful to actually go to young people and say, you have the ability to do it, but also you need to tell me what you want and empowering them to have a vision for the future. That's why I spend so much time in schools and talking to young people, because it's those visions that I think are incredibly important. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.